1984 by George Orwell, Part 2, Chapters 4 through 9. In this section, O'Brien lives up to Winston's expectations, at least at first. This idea that there's a brotherhood, and we get this description of what the brotherhood is, and it's so vague, but Winston's mind is so warped because it's a product of the environment that he's been raised in and worked in and lived in that he accepts it as the truth because he desperately wants it to be true. And he's created O'Brien to be something in his head and, and why he trusts him is beyond at least my comprehension. But he does not really fear death at this point. Remember, he's already working on the premise that he is dead. He just happens to still be alive in theory. But if working under this premise that he's dead, he doesn't really risk anything by putting everything out there in this section to O'Brien. It's that O'Brien lives up to the expectation. But we see Winston's weakness. Winston is, by design, of the society that he's been living in, not able to manifest anything on his own. His thoughts, his actions, they completely are reliant on the other, on someone else, on something to make it work for him. He is not someone who is strong enough to make things happen on his own. So he relies on Julia. In this case, he's trying to connect with O'Brien and join a brotherhood that is faceless, nameless, and seemingly has no real direction other than it seemingly exists. But Winston believes it because he wants to believe. And that's one of the things we have to look at in this section and throughout the rest of this novel is the idea of what it means to believe in something what it means to accept something, and what it is to basically foster an idea to try to make it reality, even when the structure for this idea to be it real isn't really there. So while we look at this interaction, you have to put all the emphasis on Winston's willingness to believe, his inability to ask questions or have the mind or the mental capacity to ask any questions or press at all. He just accepts all of it because he is someone who's been taught to accept, to accept, to accept, and he does not really know how to rebel or even ask the proper questions to cultivate any sort of conversation or dialogue that might expose O'Brien. He wants this to be real, so he believes it and he moves forward. The big section here that we mainly want to talk about is the introduction of Goldstein's book, all right? And the book is finally dropped off to Winston during the Week of Hate when they flip who their enemy is and have to work over, above and beyond expectation to erase all the information that had been mentioned about who was the enemy beforehand. And we'll cover that in class because it's important. The actual details aren't that important, but the idea that mid-conversation during hate week, they flip who the enemy is and then try to completely erase any mistakes in their dialogue or in their presentation of these ideas is a wild thing that happens, but it's not the centerpiece of it. It's just an example of how the society works and how important it is to them to never be wrong. But what we need to look at in Goldstein's book, and the one thing we have to ask ourselves is, is this a product of Big Brother? 
Is the brotherhood or the idea of the brotherhood a product of Big Brother? Is the book itself, the way it is written, a product of Big Brother? If you control the counterculture, if you control the counter-revolution or the revolutionary people in a society, if you're the one dictating these people who think they're creating a new world order or trying to join a new world order, then you have complete control. If you can control your adversaries, then ultimately your chances of maintaining power are infinite. And they do so through war. It's explained in the book. The book's not telling Winston anything that he doesn't already kind of know or experience. But he does not know why they're doing it. But this lays out the how. And war is the machine that's going to keep people in place. It doesn't allow change. It fuels the economy. It doesn't improve life at all. And in many ways, it's a de-evolution of society to keep people at a lower standard of living in a hierarchical society. That is what war is in this society. And even more so, the three main, we'll call them countries, are basically in an unset agreement never to win a war. They're just skirmishes and battles because all three states ultimately are stronger to be in a constant state of war. They can control people. It's oppression with a purpose to keep everyone on the brink. The people in the high society are afraid to drop into the middle. The people in the middle are are afraid to drop into the lower. They're all afraid of what could happen if ultimately another country took over. By keeping people on the brink, it keeps them on edge. It allows Big Brother and the government of 1980, that we're seeing in 1984, to have oppression with a purpose. And ultimately what we see here is that technology is only used to decrease human liberty. So while we have seen in our own lives the range of technology and the advances in technology, they point out in this text, Orwell points it out, that technology was being used initially to grow society. And once they figured it was growing too fast, it was leveling playing fields, that the only response was to turn it around and use technology to decrease human liberty, stifle advancement, and turn everything into some connection to a product or a byproduct of war. This is by far the most interesting section when it comes to the cultivation, the creation of what society does to a culture and what the culture does to the people within the society. How governments make decisions, how advancements are used in a way to twist things back to control people. And Winston, while we are in some ways, I don't know if you're cheering for Winston, but we're experiencing everything through Winston and we're seeing his limitations because he is someone who very rarely is able to get a complete clear picture of anything. We talked about the idea that O'Brien is so easy to just sort of draw Winston into this. Because Winston has lived in a time of war forever. He works nonstop. He's not doing a poor job at work. He's doing a great job at work. That's part of the reason why O'Brien kind of speaks with him. 
but they're always on the lookout for people that might be slipping. And Winston's clearly slipping. His relationship with Julia explains that. He's obviously, the book is from his perspective. We know that he's trying to rally against the society, but he doesn't really know how to. But the use of war as a weapon against the people to control the people and the unsaid agreement with the other states and other power figures, let's call them that, the three total, that ultimately that this is an agreement that we're all better off if we kind of just keep fighting. And these are not, as as mentioned, these are not giant armies going after each other. These are smaller armies with little skirmishes, but it keeps everyone involved. With this text, it's important that we learn and remember to trust nothing. And that the complete control of Big Brother is beyond the measure and comprehension of Winston. And while we would like to see Winston maybe be a little bit more well-rounded, Orwell does an amazing job of making sure he is as stunted as possible because he is the byproduct of the experiences that he's had. So let's continue to analyze the place of war in this society. We'll look at the section of Goldstein's writing. We'll go over why oppression with a purpose puts everyone on the brink. And then we'll actually look a little bit at technology in the text, but also in our own lives and how it can be used for both good and for bad. And and look at, honestly, is this something that is no longer science fiction of a dystopian novel? what could actually happen in our own lives.